0: self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics.
1: Welcome
2: to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters,
1: here's Joyce Bender. Hey, welcome everyone to the show. We are still celebrating this year's the 25th anniversary of the signing of the Americans with Disabilities Act. And this month is very personal to me because it is epilepsy month in the United States. Uh, And hopefully you're going to see purple Everywhere you go, which I am so excited that we are going to have the county. Oh, my God, the building lit up with purple. This is unbelievable. But you know, as all of my listeners know, um, I am living with epilepsy, um, and that's why I said this is very personal to me. And very sadly, it was only in the past several years that I really started hearing more and more about SUDEP, sudden unexplained death in epilepsy. You know, I was the chair of the National Epilepsy Foundation, and really it wasn't until then because for years, when I was on the national board, honestly, I didn't hear about it. And it was like this big secret. And sadly, that is what has caused tragedy in the United States, as you will be hearing about shortly. But we have two champions on the phone today. My good friend, Peggy Beam Jelly, the president and CEO of the Epilepsy Foundation of Western and Central PA, who is absolutely the best of the best, Um, and Jan Boyd, the grandmother of a young woman that was lost to Sue Depp. And just, Jan, I can't thank you enough for being with us. Thank
0: you so much for inviting me for this important discussion, Joyce. I appreciate it. My whole family does.
1: Well, uh, we we need to do more about it. That is absolutely a fact. So, as I just said, it is always amazing to me how few people know about SUDEP. And I'm talking about people living with epilepsy, parents of children living with epilepsy. Um, I have to wonder where the doctors are in all of this, but we'll be talking about that in a few moments. But first, Peggy, how about if you tell all of our listeners about the best affiliate in the United States, <laughs> And that would, of course, be the Epilepsy Foundation of Western and Central PA and the services that you offer because, you know, I'll often meet someone, a young person or even a young adult or an adult living with epilepsy, maybe they haven't, uh, you know, wanted to share this with anyone and they're still having issues and, you know, I know often when I talk to them, they don't know about all these great services that you provide. So would you mind sharing that with our listeners? And once again, Peggy Beam-Jelly is the CEO of the Epilepsy Foundation of Western and Central PA. Well, Joyce,
2: thank you for having me this afternoon, and and you're always so kind to describe our affiliate that way, Um, and it's always so nice of you to serve our local board of directors for many years as you have. Um, So the Epilepsy Foundation Western Central Pennsylvania actually serves 49 counties um, in Pennsylvania, and we do actually offer a wide variety of programs and services that we hope are aimed at helping individuals and families learn more about their condition, how to cope with living with epilepsy, and how to overcome the negative consequences that seizures or epilepsy may be creating in their lives. We do a lot of work in the community to educate the general public and educate those who might be working with children and folks who who might be having seizures so that people will know what to do if someone is having a seizure. They might encounter someone having a seizure in a classroom, in a workplace, just out in the community. Um, So our services range from Working with an individual patient or a parent who's just receiving a diagnosis to learn more about the condition, to maybe look for better treatments, to get better control of their seizures, to training for individual teachers or the entire faculty of a school district, um, training for school nurses to know better how to create better environments in schools for children, to conferences that are large-scale to small uh, support group workshops, those kinds of things, on issues like health care transition for youth with epilepsy. We have summer camps. Um, we have a newer program that's actually a respite care service for families and caregivers who are um, struggling with taking care of someone who has uncontrolled seizures and needs a little bit of help with that. Um, we have an emergency medication program if somebody finds that for some reason they've run into a lapse in their insurance or for whatever reason they're without insurance or they just can't afford their medication, and they need some help with that. Um, one of our newer programs is a service called the Oscar Project, and we're able to match folks up with um, service animals if they need the help of um, a seizure response animal, seizure response dog. Um, and that's been enormously successful. Um, the Bursick family has actually just started to work with us to help families get access to monitors that are helpful to folks who are um, trying to do a little something to prevent um, or lower the risk of SUDEP, and those are now available through our foundation. Um, that's brand new. So we have offices in Pittsburgh, Johnstown, Camp Hill, um staff kind of scattered throughout those 49 counties so there's always something going on there's always a support group there's always um, an education event happening a special event happening um, a group meeting someplace and um, in, in some community across the state and, and it's all geared towards you know trying to get the local supports that folks need to be successful
1: Wow! I mean, you do so much, and I I hope if you're and Peggy, what is your website? Um, Our website is www.efwp.org. And our eight
2: hundred number, uh huh. It's www.efwp.org. And go ahead. You were going to say something else. And our 800 number is 1-800-361-5885.
1: Okay. Um, And by the way, if you wrote that down, you can also make a contribution. Remember, epilepsy month, remember a time to give back. Um, and I don't, okay. I don't so, know if
2: you even know this, Joyce, but we we now have a new thing um, for making contributions. Folks can make donations using their web phones or their, or their web phones, their smartphones, and all you have to do is just text one and twenty six to four one four four four. So you just type in one and twenty six and send it to four one four four four, and you can. Make a donation to the Applepsy Foundation Wow, that is great no, yeah, that's is pretty
1: cool, cool. One, just is it
2: just one twenty six it's the number one i n
1: two six okay, one in twenty six four right. one four 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 correct. Oh, that is so awesome. wow, that's good. That's a great new way um, to do that. It makes it easy for everyone okay, good well. Uh, Peggy, moving on to (laughs) epilepsy itself, it really is widespread and uh, still... Once again, a lot of people don't understand what it is or or they think it's just the only thing that can happen is if you have a convulsion that that's Mm -hmm. epilepsy, which means they really don't understand it. Um, And that's why when I speak at a company, I'll often say, you know, you have employees right here. With disabilities Absolutely. such as epilepsy, a hidden disability. But could you explain to our listeners what epilepsy is, and then how widespread it really is? Sure. So um, epilepsy is a neurological condition
2: that causes seizures. That's the, you know, that's the most simplistic way I can put it. Um, and really, anyone who has two or more seizures, and if we expect them to continue to have seizures. Generally, that person is diagnosed sometimes with epilepsy, sometimes with a seizure disorder, sometimes with an you know another name that's part of an epilepsy syndrome. But they are all part of this medical condition or group of diseases um, that are part of a continuum um, that we call epilepsy. Um, and and in all of those cases, seizures are caused by disturbances in the electrical activity in in the brain. So Um, Much more widespread than people realize. um, Our texting to give will make more sense to people um, when I tell them this, that 1 in 26 people in the United States will develop epilepsy at some point in their lifetime. So um, that's a lot of people. Um, Actually, it's 65 million people worldwide, um, 2 million people in the United States. Um, over 200,000 right here in Pennsylvania, so lots and lots of people. And I typically have found that once people start to talk about having seizures or start to talk about epilepsy, um, other people are pretty quick to chime in and say, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, I, I have a friend or I have a family member or I know somebody. Um, but until somebody else starts that conversation, it usually doesn't come up. So it's it, 1 in 26 is pre, it's pretty common. I mean, so if you look at a room with 100 people in it, you know, three or four people in that room will develop
1: epilepsy in their lifetime. And, you know, again, you can have a absence seizure where you stare a few seconds. You can have a complex right. partial seizure where you could look as if you're in a drunken stupor or just be sitting there. Uh, con- you know, conscious but just sort of staring or doing a repetitive movement uh, right. or a tonic-clonic seizure. But there are even, you know, there are even derivations of that. The only reason I'm bringing that up is, you know, I've seen people with diabetes ha- have a, uh, a uh, convulsion, and mm-hmm. people get all of this confused And people don't really understand. So, you know, if you ever wonder or have a question about that, here we have the Epilepsy Foundation of Western and Citral PA, or go to a neurologist, not the family doctor. Go to a neurologist, which even better is an epileptologist. But don't go to the family doctor only. That's what I did, and I almost lost my life because I am one of those people they do not have a convulsion. So remember, if you don't know, don't just go to family doctor. Go to a neurologist. Don't you agree with that, Peggy?
2: A- absolutely, seizure does not mean convulsion. Absolutely not. Seizure. Do- I mean, I and typically in our school programs, you know, especially with, you know, middle-aged students or students that we're trying to, you know, we're talking about the brain and the central nervous system. You have to remember, your brain controls everything. So really, anything that, you know, the outward manifestations of a seizure can be anything that your brain controls. So it could be anything from minor twitching of a limb to, you know, full-blown convulsions and, and anything in between. So, you know, the key is always things that are repetitive. Um, and things that happen with patterns and, and that sort of thing. And, and as you say, Joyce, the key is getting that correct diagnosis and getting that diagnosis as early as possible and that's not settling. Right. Not, not settling for a, you know, oh, we're not yeah, really sure what that it. is. <laughs>
1: right, don't settle. That is so true. Um, and when we come back... We're going to talk about something that isn't talked about, which is SUDEP. But right now, we're going to break. Hey, if you just joined us, we are talking to Peggy Beam Jelly, the president and CEO of the Epilepsy Foundation of Western and Central PA, and Jan Boyd to talk about SUDEP. and, And it is sad But you need to know. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. We'll be right back. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. Voiceamerica.com. Hey, welcome back, everyone. This is National Epilepsy Month, and we will be talking about epilepsy, which, as you know, I am a woman living with epilepsy. Uh, this is very important to me. I'm also very proud to be on the board of the Epilepsy Foundation of Western and Central PA, and we have the CEO and President, Peggy Beam Jelly, with us. And it is Peggy that actually... Uh, told me about Shannon Bursick and Jan Boyd and Emma. And, you know, oh, my God, what a sad story. Um, But she also told me what champions they are and how they're working to make a difference, as are other families who have gone through this terrible situation. So, uh, first of all, Jan, thank you for being with us. And thank you, Joyce. Thank you very much for the opportunity and, to be here. And Jan uh, is the grandmother of Emma, and if I'm correct, Emma was seven years old. Is that correct? That's correct. So when did your family find out that Emma was living with epilepsy? And after you found out, um, what happened then? What was her seizure control like? Well,
0: Joyce, Emma was diagnosed with epilepsy at the age of seven months, um, and uh, she actually had a combination of complex partial and tonic-clonic seizures. She was having up to ten a day at the time she was diagnosed. She was an inpatient at the Children's Hospital of Pittsburgh for two weeks and then discharged on five anti-seizure medications uh, during her seven years. Emma received over 10 anti-seizure medications. Um, She also had a vagus nerve stimulator implanted in her chest. None of those efforts eliminated her seizures, Um, although she did have a period as a toddler for about 11 months when the seizures were stopped, but they came back. Um, And although... These efforts didn't eliminate her seizures. They did reduce them to approximately one to two per week, by which time her seizures were mostly nocturnal, meaning that she had them at night during sleep.
1: And, you know, what I say about that is, oh, my God, because um, to me, one seizure a year is too many. And, you know, when you're hearing this, uh, because I have epilepsy, I cannot imagine having that many seizures in a day and, and yes. what that would do to you and to mm-hmm. the family. Mm-hmm. Yes. And Peggy, there are many children that go through this, correct? Oh, absolutely. Not, and not just children. I
2: mean, it's obviously it's heartbreaking for anybody to go through. It's especially heartbreaking, I think, you know, everybody's, maternal and, and parental instincts kick in when you see a child going through this, uh, certainly. But, you know, Joyce, the, the the tragedy in all of this is that when you're talking about people who have uncontrolled seizures, we're talking about one-third of the patient population. One-third. Oh my third. God. One-third
1: of the oh patient my population
2: do not have a treatment that works for them that fully controls their seizures. Um, So that's a lot of people who are at risk. Because that's probably the number one risk factor for SUDEP.
1: And, you know, let me, to put this in perspective, when I said one seizure, when I have a seizure, it, uh, it, this goes on for a while. I have a complex partial seizure. But what I mean is it's accompanied by this horrific vomiting. And mm. Um, mm. so trying to imagine, whether you're an adult or a child, having multiple seizures a day, let alone uh this. Mm. Some have, I know, some children have literally hundreds a day is just so horrible, and then to hear that it's one-third, oh my God, that's really terrible. Um, But, so, we have to move on to this sad topic. Uh, Jan, tell our listeners what happened to Emma. Yes. In July of 2008, at
0: age seven and a half, Emma's dad went to wake her up for summer school and found Emma unresponsive in her bed. Em had died in her sleep.
1: That is so horrible. I mean, you know, I don't even know what to say. It is not
0: an uncommon scenario for people who succumb to SUDEP.
1: So um, I have to ask you one question before we talk In more detail about SUDEP. Jan, did the doctors tell you and your family about SUDEP? I mean, did you even know what it was?
0: No, we, the doctors never mentioned SUDEP. Nobody along Emma's treatment journey had ever mentioned it. And I'm a nurse. My daughter is a health professional and we are both information hounds. We spent a lot of time on the internet trying to learn everything that we could. About the things that were happening to Emma, the latest research, et cetera, treatments. Not one time in any of those investigations did we ever come across anything about SUDEP. Um, that's changed, of course, which I'd be happy to also talk about. But um, we, Emma's treating neurologist wanted to. Um, spare us the additional trauma of an autopsy when Emma died. And she offered to Shannon and Joe, her husband, to call the medical examiner with a cause of death of seizure disorder. Um, my daughter declined. She really wanted the autopsy. We really needed answers. Having epilepsy did not explain somebody dying completely out of the blue, unexpectedly in their sleep, as Emma had no other health problems. Um, During the autopsy process, Emma's um, epileptologist uh, assisted the family and the medical examiner, all three of whom had a lot of contact with each other during this, um, with determining the cause of death to be SUDEP. That was the first time we'd heard of SUDEP, and that was the official beginning of our SUDEP journey.
1: Okay, so... um For people listening to the phone, and, you know, this makes me angry every time I hear this story, and I have a lot of questions about it, uh, but, Peggy, can you explain this to our listeners? You know, there could be parents listening or people with epilepsy or just people in general. Can you explain what sudden unexplained death in epilepsy otherwise known as SUDEP is? Well unfortunately, not specifically,
2: um, which is a big, 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 big part of the problem. Um, you know, basically, we know that and um, some some of the research seems to be showing that there are some irregularities in heart rhythm, some breathing dysfunctions um, that occur, um, some disturbances with brain function um, some possible changes and some seizure induced hormone and metabolic changes that may be playing a role in being, you know, contributing as, as potential causes of SUDEP. But, you know, the actual basic definition is just if someone who is otherwise healthy, but for having a diagnosis of epilepsy and barring any other known cause of death. Is found, then that's considered sudden un- unexpected death in epilepsy.
1: It, yeah, and I'm sorry it, I probably didn't ask that correctly. I I know that we don't know. I, I guess what I'm saying is for our listeners, basically, the name sudden unexplained death in epilepsy is what it is. Because right, I'll mention right. this and people will say, "What? What is that?" Oh, right. And uh, and it's. It's that a person uh, dies that is otherwise, other than epilepsy, healthy, and it is unexplained.
2: Right. I, I mean, right.
1: that's it. Right. I can't right. think and, of any other way. And I would way. add to that, this is
0: Jan, um, that SUDEP can only be confirmed on an autopsy. Um, right. When all other possible explanations and causes have been ruled out, um, so, the role of coroners and medical examiners is critical. Absolutely.
1: So, Peggy, um, how many people die from SUDEP?
2: Well, again, because because coroners don't necessarily get involved in every case, I'm not sure we have... Great statistics, um, and and I'll explain that to you here in a minute. Um, I can tell you that some of the literature would say that one out of 1,000 people with epilepsy die every year from SUDEP, which is a pretty frightening statistic in and of itself, Joyce. But um, I can also tell you that in just the last nine months, we, here at the Foundation, know of probably four cases of death in, among pretty young people, probably between the ages of 18 months and 28 years. Um, only two of them were actually investigated by the coroner and rolled a suit up, Um because the families didn't know that that was something that they, they should have investigated. Um, hey, so, also, um, if, if I could also add to
0: this part of the discussion, <clears throat> when Emma died, SUDEP was a very not-talked-about-at-all mystery, and doctors indicated to us that they felt it was extremely rare. However... As Shannon and I connected with other families around the world, actually, um, it was clear that the reality was different and that because SUDEP wasn't being tracked, um, there, weren't, there wasn't data to support what we were finding. In the seven years since Emma has passed away, both the international medical community and the U.S. National Institute of Health now identify SUDEP as the leading cause of death among persons with chronic uncontrolled epilepsy, and the U.S. Center for Disease Control has identified SUDEP as a worldwide public health concern.
1: Yes, because my opinion is, first we have Peggy right here in Western and Central PA that just told us in nine months they know four uh, families that went through Mm -hmm. this, Mm-hmm. And yep. then you've told us, Jan, that if a person does not have an autopsy, you would not know. so I mean I know you, right. you you know you hear of celebrities that, oh they've died, and no one knows you know why they died, but right away, people assume, oh, they could have had uh, you know a brain an aneurysm or a heart attack or something of this nature, but they for that reason they don't have. An autopsy. Uh, well, which Joyce, would, is further complicated by the problem of even if they have
0: an autopsy, there are, unfortunately, too many coroners and medical examiners who've also never heard of SUDEP and wouldn't right. know to look for it or identify it, let alone report it.
1: Well, there you go. So what I'm meaning, when you add all of these facts together, what does that tell me? that the number is far higher than you know that data that we just sure. talked about
2: Absolutely. is stating
1: yeah. uh plus what you just said um, you know, Jan, about doing this research with families around the world. You know, people tell me this all the time about, oh, it's rare. Then I'll go to a mm-hmm. national board meeting and three different board members will tell me, oh, I lost my 15-year-old son to SUDEP and someone, oh, I lost my, just recently lost my best friend to SUDEP. And I'm thinking, well, if it's rare, why am I hearing about this, exactly. you know, with this number of people? Um, which is going to lead me to this big question. Peggy, I'll ask you first. Why don't they tell this? Doctors, why don't they tell this to families?
2: Not sure I have a good answer for that, Joyce.
0: I I can share um, why they didn't tell us because I think it's not uncommon. Our doctors said they didn't tell us because food up is extremely rare, impossible to predict, impossible to prevent. They knew that we were the kind of family that if we knew that there was even a possibility of this, that we would have started taking turns sleeping with Emma and watching her a lot more carefully, and they felt that that would ruin our quality of life. Other physicians... Wonderful Neurologists, well-respected neurologists in epilepsy in the field of epilepsy have said to us part of their problem is that talking to families about SUDEP is not a 15-minute conversation. This is a good 45-minute or longer conversation that insurance doesn't pay for, that they don't have time for, and they don't know how other than if they have a patient who they know is at extremely high risk of SUDEP they, they try to talk to those families, but it is not part of a standard conversation when someone is diagnosed. And so those are some
1: of the things that we're aware of. Okay. Well, here's – I'm going to tell you the two things that have been told to me, and then I'd like you both to comment on this. One is what you just said. Well, Joyce, it's so rare, and if we tell this to a family – They'll spend their life overprotecting, being petrified, always thinking this could happen, um, and, and most likely it will not. So why tell them this and, you know, ruin the rest of their life? Number two is, well, Joyce, there, if this would happen, there isn't anything you can do about it anyway. So, Peggy, what's your answer to those two comments? <sighs> Well, first of all,
2: I, I don't think anybody in the medical community should ever keep information from payment, patients, period. I just think that's wrong. That's, so that's number one. Yep. Number two, the patients who are at highest risk of SUDEP are patients that have to be with somebody all the time anyway because they're patients who are having uncontrolled seizures. So it's not like they're not with somebody. So I just think that that argument doesn't stand up because these are not people who are going to be by themselves. They can't be by themselves. They would be at risk of injury if they were by themselves for the most part. I mean, they just have to have someone help them. I I hear everything
0: Peggy's saying and would add to this and for our listeners. If we had been sleeping with Emma every night, had a defibrillator under her bed and knew how to use it, and did everything that we thought we were capable of doing, should this happen, could we have saved her? Maybe not, and in fact, probably not. But it was our right to try. It was our right to have the information and to make the decision about how we would handle it.
2: Yes, because it's, it's no an, matter an argument that's who... not logical, Joyce. I mean, it's like it, it's paramount to saying to breast cancer patients, I'm not going to tell you that you might die. What oncologist would say to a patient, gosh, I'm not going to tell you you might die from this because, you know, gosh, this is really just, this might really just turn out to be something that's just, you know, like maybe not a big deal.
0: Well, and I equate it to not telling somebody just diagnosed with diabetes what the risks are.
2: It doesn't make any sense.
1: Well, Jan, what do you think about when they say there is no point um, of telling the person because if it happens, you can't do anything about it anyway? First of all,
0: again, um, I don't think the medical community has the right frankly, to censor any medical information from people. I think people have a right to know what the risks are that are associated with whatever illness or syndrome they have and that it is up to the patient and their family to decide to what lengths they're willing and ready to go to try and protect and prevent, to the extent that we know how to protect and prevent. Um, And secondly, I think that... um, It is harder for someone to find out that this happened and there might have been something they could do to protect their loved one than to not be told up front. Uh, Physicians are not saving us any amount of angst or improving our quality of life.
1: I just think that's terrible to say that, period, because no matter what, would it not be better that a family would be aware of this and would be thinking, "Look, this could happen. Hopefully, it never happens. But you know, we have to be, as you just said, as careful as we possibly can, because you really don't know if there is a chance that you could save someone. But still, no matter what, to put the family in mind, it is if they know." And and then if something does happen, they don't have to spend forever thinking, oh, I didn't do everything I could do, you know. Right. And and to me, to say that is like saying, well, you know, I'm not going to tell this person that they have terrible heart disease because if they have a Mm -hmm. heart attack, they're just going to die. I mean, I've never heard of this rationale Ever, for anyone, because I know if I had a child with any illness, whether it was cancer, no matter what it would be, wouldn't you want to know it's because your whole life in thinking about mm-hmm. all this would be different? And Well, you would and one know of the examples your... I use is that um,
0: we know that people who have uncontrolled seizures have a much higher risk for SUDEP. And, for example, if I am a teenager or a young adult whose seizures are uncontrolled because I don't take the medicine as prescribed, for lots of reasons.
2: Exactly. Um, If
0: I knew about SUDEP and I knew how important and how life-saving it could be to make sure my seizures are controlled, I might behave differently. Um, Not all seizures are uncontrolled because they can't be. Some are not controlled because of... um, People not liking side effects, people not being good about remembering to take their medicine every day, use of drugs and alcohol can interfere with the meds' effectiveness. I mean, there are many reasons why people may have uncontrolled seizures. And to the extent that they have some control over that, I would think all the knowledge they could have about the risk they're taking if they don't do everything they can to control it is just so important.
1: Well, I mean... You know, I. St- bottom line, it is not your right to prevent any family from having all medical knowledge, no matter what. That is wrong, um, and that's why uh, it's terrible. We even have to be talking about this. But uh, Jan, I wanted you to get a moment to talk about the. Emma Bursick Memorial Fund because I just think that's so awesome what your family has done. Um, could you take a moment to talk about that? I'd be
0: very glad to. Um, we, my daughter, established a memorial fund in Emma's name in January of 2009. I um, immediately became and remain her partner in carrying out the mission of this fund and other activities that we engage in as advocates um, related to SUDEP. The mission of the fund specifically includes the following, to increase public awareness of of both epilepsy and SUDEP in the community at large, SUDEP education and training particularly for medical professionals, coroners, and medical examiners. Um, to support the Epilepsy Foundation of Western Central Pennsylvania's Emergency Seizure Medication Fund, to make um, movement monitors available to families in need via a grant that we've given to the Epilepsy Foundation um, to make those available, and lastly to support SUDEP research. And I do want to make one quick statement about SUDEP research. Again, the year that Emma died, there was one research project going on in the whole world that was looking at finding the cause of SUDEP at a molecular level, and that was at Baylor College um, of Medicine. There are now probably, oh, Peggy, I don't know, what would you say, over 20 prestigious research projects yeah, that are really z- zeroing in on the mm-hmm. various cause and causes, and there's a lot of thought that there's more than one cause for SUDEP. Um, Racing to the finish line, the National Institute of Health is pouring millions of dollars into research, and I honestly and sincerely believe in my lifetime they're going to find the causes enough to be able to screen for people at specific risk and have a way to prevent it.
1: We were talking earlier, Peggy, about all the things you're doing at the Epilepsy Foundation, you know, to sort of move forward on all these initiatives. Over the past year, what have you been the proudest of at the Epilepsy Foundation? Gosh, well, you know, we
2: have had a pretty significant year this year, Joyce, and, um, you know, I don't know if you would heard this or not, but just last week, we were named one of the best places to work in Pittsburgh, which I'm really proud of because Oh that's have cool. Our- we do have a really great team here at the Epilepsy Foundation. and
1: um, Now do you, you know, believe me? Best affiliate <laughs> in the country, now do you believe me?
2: No surprise to me. Congratulations. Thank you. And, and you know, we had a record-breaking Mardi Gras gala in 2015 and, and you know, 2,500 people at our family fun run walk and, And those things are all very exciting and and really fun to talk about. But I think for me, the thing that probably was the most meaningful that we got done this year was that we put together the respite care program for families who are caring for um, a child or for a loved one who has uncontrolled seizures. Because, as you know, um, folks who are who are caregiving for someone who has uncontrolled seizures who, you know, really need Probably the care of a nurse or, or an LPN or somebody who has some, um, some medical training are often folks who don't get a break and, and never get a minute to themselves and never get a chance to do anything to take care of themselves. And, and so we have that program now in place, and families can give us a call, and, and uh, we will hook them up with a, a local nursing service that will send someone out, and, and they can use blocks of four or five hours at a time, and we'll pay for those services for them so that they can go out and catch their breath and that's maybe really do, something Peggy. With the, do something with the rest of the family. And so, you know, that's not a big flashy community thing, but I think those are the things that we're really about in terms of helping folks kind of make it through those little battles and take a breath. and. Hopefully getting through those little battles will in some way help us win this war against epilepsy. So I think that's the thing I'm probably most proud about this year.
1: Well, Jan, I know that you know for any parents with a child or, you know, someone that is taking care or with an adult that has uncontrolled uh, seizures, it is 24 by 7, so To give that person some time is a very valuable thing. Would you agree with that? I absolutely agree with that. You know, my
0: family was especially blessed, is especially blessed, because we have a large and extremely close family. But there are so many people who don't have those kind of support systems. And um, even if you have a support system... There are times when the support system just needs to be off on their own and go, go out for dinner, take a break, yeah, yeah. go see a movie, do something together that is mm-hmm. not caregiving. Right. That break right. is so important, and I really applaud yeah. Peggy and her organization for being able to provide some of that.
1: As do I. Um, and, and by the way, before I forget, I'm glad, Peggy, that you brought this up. The Mardi Gras... Here in Pittsburgh. What date is that, Peggy? It is February 9th,
2: February 9th,
1: and we are honoring the CEO of People's Natural Gas, Morgan O'Brien. Now, if you have not been to the Mardi Gras, oh, my God, are you missing out. (laughs) Because it is the best. Here we go. (laughs) <laughs> That's gala in Pittsburgh. But you know what? Everyone knows the Mardi Gras. Everyone knows. It is just fun. It is, uh, you know, it's not describable unless you go. But it's also sold out before uh, it comes around. So, you know, if you're listening and you're interested in going February ninth. Uh, make sure you get in touch with the Epilepsy Foundation of Western and Central PA to get your registration in early. And that walk that Peggy was talking about, which is by PNC Park, uh, every year is one of my favorite things. And, you know, the thing I want to stress to everyone listening is, you know, I'll hear people say to me, oh, that's so great. I wish they could do more at the Epilepsy Foundation or, you know, whatever the charity is. I wish they could do more. I wish they could help more. Well, you need money to do those things. So once again. Well, and this year more than
2: ever, Joyce, since we have you next Do you want to explain baggage. why? This year more than ever, <laughs> Why? because we do not have our state contract because we do not have a state budget. So, so we you're have no listen to the
1: show, we need your help. Remember smartphone 1IN2641444. That's 1IN2641444 smartphone make a contribution. And I want to thank you Peggy for the enormously wonderful Great person and great work you're doing. I am behind you one hundred percent. And Jan, thank, thank you, you so much, and Joyce. your family uh for you know going and thank beyond you, the call. Joyce. Thank you, thank Joyce. You. And thank, thank you, you Jan, both very for everything very much. you do. Thank you. We can all make a difference, but remember, there's always those people behind the scenes. Yeah, you know, if you're listening, you're saying, oh, I wish I could make a, d-. you can't. You can make a donation to the Epilepsy Foundation of Western and Central PA. So this holiday season and this Thanksgiving, when you're thinking about, oh, I want to do something, I want to give back, you heard about Depp you heard about losing a child, but you also heard about there are more people that don't know about it and about people don't understanding epilepsy in schools and about providing respite care and just so many things. But remember, I'm living with epilepsy. I wish I had known more because if I had, I would not have ended up having an accident, having brain surgery. We need your help. Well, I want to say this before we close the show today. Jan, um, as a woman living with epilepsy, as a board member of the Epilepsy Foundation of Western and Central PA, uh, as someone that tries to help as many people as I can living with epilepsy, on behalf of all of us in those families, I just want to thank you for your courage, your family's courage, and for the work you're doing.
0: Here. Thank you, Joyce, and the same could be said for you. And I know that you've done specific things to support our mission, and we thank you tremendously.
1: And Peggy, I just want to tell you how um, impressed I am, and happy I am, and proud of you I am, uh, because you, from when I, from years ago, always told me about SUDEP and always told me that you didn't understand why, you know, different groups didn't talk about this more and that you have just put this on the forefront and, you know, I just want to thank you for that.
2: You well know. thank you for all your support, Joyce. It's it's always been something that I just have never understood. I can remember years and years and years ago, shortly after I started, saying to You know, my predecessor, Judy Payner walking into her office years ago and saying, you know, I'm very sorry, but I'm no longer going to tell people that people don't die from seizures. And that was probably 15 or 16 years ago.
0: Wow. <laughs> she
2: said, no, 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 you can't. You can't. You have to. I said, I don't care what the professional advisory board says. I'm no longer going to tell people, and I'm going to tell the staff that they're allowed to tell people. That people die from seizures because even then, we got that many calls from folks that you know would call the office to tell us that they had lost a loved one to to epilepsy, and you know, of course, we didn't have a name for it then. We yeah. Didn't really, you know, we didn't even have a name for it. So.
1: Wow. Um, you
2: well, know, you we, both,
1: you two both we, keep fighting the fight. Um, and, you know, I just want to say one more time before we go, what's your website, Peggy? www.efwp.org. So make a contribution today or from your smartphone, one nin 26 You hear Absolutely. what we're talking about. You can make a difference with any donation that you can make today. So thank you both again. We end every show with a quote that I feel really has had just saying it all about what we've talked about. This is my one of my most favorite quotes. Never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has, said Margaret Me. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. I look forward to talking to you all next week.
2: Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another installment of Disability Matters, right here on the Internet Leader and Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com.